0: welcome in to the at the yard podcast in today's episode we head down to the bayou with louisiana state pitching coach jason kelly joining me jk thanks a bunch for doing this man it's been a long time coming and uh, I'm just really glad that you make some time to hop on the podcast with me
1: awesome man i appreciate it less and and excited to excited to chat a little bit
0: Yeah, for sure. So, you know, one of the things that in getting ready for this, obviously looking a lot at your background and, uh, you know, fascinated by by your the kind of run you've had here in the last decade or two. And uh, but it even goes back a little bit further than that, you know, back to player at St. Joseph and Santa Maria, go to Cal Poly. Go to Cuesta, You end up at Missouri Valley College. Take us through that process, uh, if you don't mind, just kind of quickly. How does how does a guy from you know Santa Maria in in, in California end up at uh, Missouri Valley College?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting kind of set of not roadblocks, but but adjustments through my career. I was I was a local kid, and and through the recruiting process, I had a couple of opportunities, but Cal Poly was a was a great situation for me, and and was excited about that, and. And went in there and, and had some success early, um, and and then got hurt and and had to redshirt my sophomore year, and and unfortunately made a decision not unfortunately, but ended up being fortunate for me because it, it kind of helped kind of steer me in in the direction that I needed to go in. Is is decided to go to junior college, and academically it was a better fit for me, and and baseball wise it ended up being a, the greatest thing I've ever done because I got a chance to to go play for Larry Lee at Questa. It was before he had taking the Cal Poly job, and, and I got to to learn under him and, and have some success. We went to the Final Four and, and met a lot of great people at, at Cuesta, and the baseball tradition there is, is unbelievable and still is. And and then um, was looking on to, to make that next move and, and ran into the 4 4 transfer stuff, and I didn't have enough units for some certain things, so I had to go to an NAI school, and, and there was a, a head coach at Missouri Valley College named Elliot Sampley, who had been recruiting the West coast. And, and I had two buddies from, from Cuesta that went out there and, and they were telling me how great it was and how good of a team it was and this, that, and the other. So I ended up just going, Hey man, let's do it. And and he recruited me and I went out there and, and then ultimately that's where my career kind of ended is, is my elbow blew out and I had to have Tommy John. And, and luckily for me, it, it ended my playing career and, and forced me into coaching, which was the best uh, thing that could happen to me.
0: <laughs> so I, I was going to go there. Is is was that what it was? I mean, did you have an inkling that hey, maybe coaching is something I want to do in the future, or was it you know the the suddenness of hey, I blew out my arm. What am I going to do next?
1: Yeah, it was a little bit of everything. I, I come from a coaching family. Um, my, my my whole family's been in professional baseball, and and that's just kind of the way we were raised. But I didn't have any. Um, I wish I did. I didn't have any aspirations to do it. Um, But when I got hurt, uh, my parents' insurance would not allow me to rehab there. So I had to come back to California. So when I came back, my brother, my younger brother, um, who's now the hitting coordinator for the Cubs, was a freshman at Cuesta. And Larry Lee, this is a long story, but I'll, I'll tell it to you. Larry Lee had just gotten the Cal Poly job. So Cuesta didn't have a baseball coach for the fall. And they weren't really interested in hiring anybody right away. They were going to hire somebody in December. So Larry approached me and said, hey, while you're rehabbing, would you have any interest in running the team in the fall? I said, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing, but I can run it just like you did it. And, and he goes, I'll help you. <laughs> um, I had a friend of mine who, who was, was helping with me named Jared Kruko who played there and was getting into coaching as well. Um, so we did it. And, and we were, I think I just turned 22. Um, we had no idea what we were doing. Um, but we ran the fall and, and had a great time, had a blast. And I think we did a decent job. They hired Bob Miller that I believe it was December. It was towards the end of the semester. Um, they hired Bob away from Riverside and, and, and he came up and kept me around. Um, and at that point it was kind of like, okay, what am I going to do? And me not being the most skilled person, it was coach baseball, (laughs) um, you know, work construction um, you know, just, just find an odd job. And I love the game. And, and so my parents and everyone around me, I was like, Hey, I'm thinking about coaching. And everyone kind of looked at me like, yeah, we get, yeah, we, we knew that we've known since you were 12 years old that you were going to coach something. Cause I was always a little bossy and thought I knew everything. Um, so I, uh, I got into coaching man, and, and started at the junior college level and, and making no money, like, like a lot of people do. And, and then I realized that I might be okay at this, and the players liked me, and and so it kind of went from there, and and it was an odd way of getting there, but everybody I think around me knew that that was going to be my path.
0: So, so you go from Quest their coach in the fall, and then you you spend a year as in ops at Cal Poly uh, under Larry, presumably uh, yep. before before going to Chico for two years. Was was it one of those things, and then coming back to Cal Poly was it one of those things where Larry? kind of said hey go get some experience for a couple of years and we'll see where this goes is that what led you to Chico because you guys had a lot of success up there too
1: yeah it's 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 uh, I have a, a interesting path on that part of it because Larry hired me as the ops guy which at Cal Poly the ops guy at that point in time there wasn't a whole lot of ops involved I was just kind of a, a support staff firm. I couldn't coach but I could you know, do some charting and, and some of those things. And Jerry Weinstein is the pitching coach at that time. Wow. Um, so, you know, my background was, was competitiveness, um, you know, kind of in-game stuff that those are things I could, I was never, um, had really grown up in the mechanical part of it in the scientific part of it. And, and for those that know Jerry, Jerry's very involved in that. Um, so I got to learn under him a little bit and, and it was great for me. And then, um, we're going Like um, I think it's October, um, right around the October or so. And and I go into Larry's office and I'm volunteering at the time. And I say, Hey, I I think this is going to be the last year for me. I just can't afford it. Like lessons is not getting me through. Um, I had, I had met my wife, um, not met her, but we had started dating. I'd, I'd met her earlier in college. And so I was, I was, life was turning for me. Um, and I'm telling you not two days later, I'm sitting in Larry's office and, the, his phone rings, his office phone, and it's Lindsey Meggs, who's the head coach at Chico State at that time. He says, hey, Larry, I'm looking for a young pitching guy. Um, my pitching guy, Dave Taylor, who's now the head coach at Chico State, took the Cal State L.A. job. He goes, he just took that job. I don't have much money, um, but I need somebody to, to run my pitchers. And Larry literally handed me the phone. And I'm like, hello? And he goes, hey, Jason, Kelly, this is Lindsey Meggs, Chico State. Would love to interview. So I said, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about quitting this thing. Yeah. Um, he kind of tells me, he goes, hey, the only bad part is, I think it was $17,000. And mm-hmm. for me at that time, I'm like, holy crap. Somebody's going to pay me $17,000 to do this. I mean, and I was in before, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so we do a phone interview the next day. Uh, apparently Coach Megs liked what I had to say. He He had me come up there. I drove up there. I interviewed. He said, "Hey, I'm gonna call you on Monday. This is Sunday. I'm driving back home." He calls me ten minutes out of town. He says, "Hey, I want to offer you the job." I take the job, um, and, I, and I kind of um, realize on my way back to San Luis Obispo, I have no idea what I'm doing. I've never run a pitching staff. I've never developed throwing program. You know, so I, I kind of got thrown into the fire, uh, which I think was the best thing for me. And I was with Coach Megs there for two years. Um, we the first year we go to the national championship um, tournament, we we end up. Um, losing two and Q there. And then the second year we play for the national championship and end up losing to Tampa in that final game. Um, And then I'm going back. This is crazy, but I'm going back for year three and coach Megs gets the Indiana state job. So he leaves and Dave Taylor comes back to Chico. um, And Dave says, Hey, I want to keep you on. I like what you did. I don't want to do the pitching as much anymore. So I'd love to keep you. I say, Hey, I'm in. I love Chico. My wife, We were, we had just gotten married. She had moved up there. Like we really enjoyed that town. It was great. Um, So I do the fall with Dave and Dave wants to, to, you know, keep me on for a long time. He says, Hey, I love you. I would love to keep you here. You know, this, that, and the other, he said, but what's going to pull you away? Like I said, there's one job, Dave. and, And it's that Cal Poly job. Like if I could go home and work with Larry, you know, that would, that would be hard for me to turn down. And I'm telling you not two weeks later, Jerry Weinstein takes a job with uh, Colorado Rockies, and I'm driving home for Christmas break to see my family. And Larry calls me and says, "Hey, you want a job?" I said, "What are you talking about? Here? Jerry just, <laughs> Jerry's taking a pro job, and I'd love to hire you." I said, "I'm oh, in," and we moved back down to slow, and and I had I don't know, shoot six seven good years there, and and then on to Washington. And so it's it was uh, my journey is a lot of. I'm almost ready not to quit, but you know, to move on and and get on to life and something just happened for me. I was so lucky in the people that I met and the people that, you know, were willing to help me out in in a time where I felt like there was a force in the universe that was pulling me away from the game. Um, and, and these people helped me stay in it. So I owe a lot to, to Lindsay Megs and Jerry Weinstein and Larry Lee and, and Dave Taylor, those guys kept me in this game long enough to where I could progress and, and make some money and then make a profession out of it.
0: Yeah. So you spent, you know, a number of years at Cal Poly, like you said, and and then now, now, then you get a call from Lindsay Megs again, right. And, and, and you back, and then, you know, he gets the Washington job and, and you get that phone call. And how hard was that conversation between you and Larry to say, you know, hey, I, I I've got to do this. I mean, for me, I, you know, I, I kind of get that. Okay, hey, you're going from the Big West to the Pac-12, mm-hmm. you know, the and and all that that entails. Uh, but for you, I mean, you just, I mean, Larry essentially, you know, made you who you are, if you will. I mean, had or had a big role in who you are. Uh, how hard was that conversation for you?
1: You know, it's interesting because in theory, it was really hard. Um, because I didn't want to do it you know I I, you just didn't want to to disappoint him and then when I did it he was so gracious and so supportive you know that I I almost laughed like (laughs) I can't believe that I thought he would be frustrated or disappointed or or you know I know he didn't want me to leave we had kind of you know I think we were in our seventh year so It was starting to mold together. I mean, we had a really good class coming in with with Matt Imhoff and and Brian Mundell and Mark Mathias. And and we had a really good group. And and I know he didn't want me to leave, but he also understood that they were more than doubling my pay. You know, it it was part of the progression of of my career. And he was so supportive. And and he said, I know you got to do this. Um, It's something that's beneficial for your family. You know, Cal Poly at this point in time, there, there's not much more money. It's going to be what it is. And, and I felt comfortable, obviously, with Coach Meg. So it was something I had to do. And on a secondary note, um, our ops guy at that time was Thomas Eager, um, who's now the pitching coach at Stanford. So there was a little bit of me that was like, OK, I can leave here and know that my guys at, at Poly are going to be taken care of. And, and Thomas is going to do a really good job. And, and he did. I think they were number one in the nation for a little bit of time in 13, maybe 14 and hosted a regional and, and, had a ton of success. So, you know, that was hard for me to leave because I loved it there. And and a lot of people that know San Luis is just a great place to be. And, and Larry's the best, but it was something I had to do.
0: Yeah. And, and, and then you get to Washington and the impacts almost immediate, right? I mean, you guys, the, your second year there, you make a regional for the first time in 10 years, you know, a few years later, you guys make your first trip to Omaha. I mean, that seemed like, just from the outside looking in, I think that's when that's about the time you and I got to get to know each other a little mm-hmm. bit, a little bit more closely. And, um, that seemed just from, again, the outside looking in, just like a magical ride for a number of years. I mean, how do you, how was it being on the inside of it?
1: It was cool. It was, there was just a ton of excitement. I, I walked into a pretty good situation. Um, Dave Nakama had, had done a really good job on the recruiting end. And in 13, we were really young and, and we struggled and that, there's no denying that, but we brought them all back in 14 and we had a good club. I think we were ranked as high as number five in the country and went to the old Miss regional and played well, just, just kind of ran into a better club. Um, and then that's as the ballpark was getting built when I got the job, they were on phase one of it. Um, phase two happened at the end of 13. So the stadium was built. Um, so there was some really good momentum, um, that I walked into and coach Megs had kind of set the foundation a couple of years before that. So, um, and then, you know, we kind of went on a run every other year and, and that trip to Omaha obviously was special and, and a, an incredible group of kids. Cause I think going into conference play, we were 500. Um, we hadn't played very well and we went into conference and, and really got some mojo going and, and we had some great leadership and, and those guys took over our team and, and got us Omaha and it was a magical run some things bounced our way um as you go which always happens and and yeah that that was a special group that that 18 team is some of those guys I'll never forget because they were one of the not the first group but one group that really took it upon themselves and and the, the brotherhood with that group was as as tight as any group I've ever been around
0: so obviously, on any run to Omaha, there's going to be special moments, and but there's one that I, I got to ask you about, and that's the 84 pitch perfect game by Joe Demers. I mean, <laughs> I mean, 84 pitches, you know, to throw a complete game is special, right? But to throw a perfect game on 84 pitches, and you calling those pitches, that had to be a pretty special moment for you as a coach.
1: Yeah, there was a lot of reasons why why that was special obviously like you mentioned an 84 pitch complete game I think we were in week two of the season so I wasn't gonna let him go incredibly long and and he was a junior that time and he was our leader and and big physical strong kid and and all that so I was going to give him some some leeway but I didn't really know until about the sixth Um, I looked up and saw that there was a no hitter and I was kind of like oh crap like "Hmm." and he had such a good sinker um, that you know we it didn't not that it didn't feel like a dominant outing, but they were putting the ball in play. I think he struck out eight or nine. Um, and he was just so efficient. And and then about the seventh, I got a little butterfly in my stomach, just like, oh, crap, <laughs> this is uh, – I don't want to screw this up because, you know, you can do that call in the game. When it's perfect, like the 2-2 pitch is so important. And then there's a 3-2 pitch, and, and you have to have a good feel for what he's commanding that day. If it's a no-hitter, it's just – Hey, we walk a guy, you walk a guy. So um, we get to the ninth and I think we went three 2 might've been maybe his only second three ball count of the game. Wow. And I think we threw a three, two slider, um, which was obviously a risk and a perfect game, but a guy hits a chopper to third and we get an out next pitch is a pop up to right. And, and Joe had a perfect game. And it was an awesome, awesome celebration. If you know, Joe Demers, he's the best kid. Um, he was, you know, there was nobody on that staff that, that we would have rather see have that success because he, he deserved it. And he was a hard worker and, and he was a leader of our team. And, and I don't know that I'll ever get to do that again. I mean, that was, that was something now that I think back at it, I get a little ping on my phone on that anniversary from some of the
0: pictures. And it's, it's a great memory, man. Great memory. That, that That's awesome. So, I mean, do you go back to that injury, JK, and, and, you know, kind of forced you into coaching. I mean, you're a pretty young guy, right? I mean, early forties and you're, Mm -hmm. you're going on what your 18th year in, in in coaching college baseball, 19th year, somewhere in that neighborhood. I mean, do you, do you look back and say, man, you, you mentioned it a little bit here on the podcast, but do you look back and just say that might've been the best thing to ever happen to me?
1: Oh, totally. Like, and, and that, that was kind of the look on my family's face when I said, Hey, I think I want to go into coaching. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) And, and, but at the same time, you know, it, it's nineteen twenty years, it, it's not that long, but things were a lot different than they are now. And there wasn't a whole lot of money to be made in this game. And, and I didn't know if I would ever be able to make a career out of this. I mean, I was working graveyard shift at a grocery store, um, you know, working from 10 PM to eight in the morning, just trying to survive. And, and, you know, to see the things that have happened to me, I'm just so lucky and, and, you know, I found something I'm passionate about and and you know, you, you just know so many people that don't like what they do and, and that nine to five grind and I wouldn't have been good at that. I just I wouldn't have been the best me and, and this has allowed me to be the best me and and really enjoy going to work every day, working with great people and keeping me young and, and I'm forty but I'm forty one actually, but I, I feel sometimes like I'm eighty. Um, but but my mind these kids keep me young and, and that's what I appreciate the most out of this job is, is you know, having kids myself, I have a 13-year-old daughter and a 12-year-old son, is I'm keeping up with the times a little bit, and, and I appreciate that. But, yeah, that injury, you know, that that kind of was a blessing in disguise.
0: So, you know, you've been in the game, obviously, your whole life. You come from a family of coaches. You, you've mentioned a number of different coaches that have been a huge influence on you. What What sorts of things have you taken from those coaches and – put into your own philosophy as, as a coach? And, and how would you describe that philosophy?
1: You know, there, there's a little bit of everybody. My my, my dad was was an incredible um, baseball coach. His knowledge of the game. I mean, he's the one that got us going. My brother and I, as, as young, young kids, he taught us the game right. Um, we, we were the nine-year-olds that were running like these unbelievable practices. And, and whereas most kids are, you know, running around and and picking daisies, um, you know, we were working on fundamentals, and and then to get into college baseball and get a chance to to be under Larry, I learned a lot of the details of the game, um, the small things, and especially the offensive part of it. He's such a great offensive coach um, that that he exposed me to to breaking down hitters, to kind of some of the smaller points in in you know um, you know taking advantage of other pitchers and things to look for, and and he was such a good prep. He prepared his team so well that I learned from, and then to be with Jerry Weinstein and just get my mind blown on the technical part of it, and and he's such a hard worker, and and nothing was ever he never settles for anything. It's always I know there's more out there, and and you know that part of it, and then to go up to to Chico with with Coach Megs and and the toughness and and the leadership part of it, and he runs such a tight ship um, that that I learned that, and then and then to head to to Arizona State with Tracy and Tracy. Smith is such a, a great person to be around. And, and, uh, you know, he's got a, a really smart mind in the game for, for baseball and people and, and, and now to be with Jay Johnson. And, and so there's, there's things from everybody, man. And, and so my philosophy is, is unfortunately I, I put my in front of it, but it's not mine. It's, it's bits and pieces from everybody. Um, and, and it's about competition for me. And, and that's the part of it that I really enjoy teaching is, is helping kids especially this this kind of newer generation get rid of all the details and get rid of all the 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 stress and and just get back to competing and there's mechanics along the way and there's technology and and all these things we try and be well-rounded but but ultimately it's about getting guys to perform at their highest and and reach peaks that they've never reached before
0: you you touched on it a little bit there right things have changed a lot since you first broke into the game as a coach and you know, then you touch on it there with this newer generation. How do you think that that's changed in the sense of, you know, trying to get kids motivated to be their best selves? Yeah, it's,
1: you know, it's not an old guy, get off my lawn situation.
0: Um, but things
1: <laughs> have changed and, and, and it's true. And, and the Internet and, and social media and, you know, just the things pulling them, in all directions has changed. And, and, you know, that started with, with our generation where, you know, TV was going to kill us and, and then video games were going to, you know, make us bad people. And, and we've realized that those things can, we can all coexist. <laughs> um, but the newer generation is, is different in the fact that there's a little more anxiety involved in certain things. There's a little more, um, access to information, which is great, but it also is a stressor for, for kids, Um, and you know, parents are stressors and coaches are stressors. So it's about finding that kind of that middle ground of, of, Hey man, this is about you. This is about your career. And how do we do that while putting all those things on the back burner for a little bit and saying, Hey man, I want to focus on, on the competition part. I want to focus on my teammates. I want to focus on getting better, not on the results, not on my agent, not on my, parents not on the coaching staff but but all my teammates and and they just need it's the same it's always the same um nothing has changed it's just the information has changed and you've got to get them to process it the right way they, the game is the same as it was 100 years ago and it's played the same um, you just have to get them to focus on the right things and, and that's you know my generation our generation less was a little more selfish um than this generation is and and this generation needs to be a little more selfish and and worry about, you know, their careers and, and how they can progress and and not worry about the outside influence as much. So it, it's a learning curve. It always is and it always will be. Hopefully I do this for, you know, 25, 30 more years and, and there's another adjustment coming around the corner, too. So that, that's what it's about. Adapt or die.
0: Yeah, one of the one of the adjustments that's fairly new in the game, and it's you know kind of exploding, is the use of technology. And you talked about it earlier about being well rounded coaches, and you guys use that and incorporate that. How important is that for what you guys are doing at LSU? And and moreover, to take it a step further, I mean, for you guys, how valuable is having that that information? Uh, you know, on prospective recruits.
1: Yeah, it's it's such a broad. Um, topic like like there's so many ways to break that down. And you're talking about the word analytics is just thrown around now, but there's so many different yeah. layers to that. There's there's the actual physical part of it, which is the Rapsodo Trackman. When you're talking about spin rate and and horizontal and vertical and, and the way the ball moves and and the way um, the ball comes out of your hand and and all those specific characteristics, and then it gets into some of the just overall data when you're talking about Hot zones, cold zones, um, different batting averages on different pitches, counts. Um, You know, so you have all of this information and and they want it all, but they're a lot of times not capable of really um, regurgitating it in a way that is beneficial to them. So you have to teach them what's important and and there's something that's different for everybody and they need to have those things now so that they believe you sometimes It's not when when I grew up and I I hate to keep talking about that, but it's just hopefully it details the difference is when when you got to when you went to play for a coach, you just you just listened. And and that's you just trusted that, hey, I hope this guy knows what he's doing. I got a chance to play at Cal Poly for Tom Kunis, who's one of the great pitching coaches in in college baseball and is is now in the Dodgers organization. But you just had to listen to Coach Kunis and, and hope he was directing you in the right way. Kids nowadays, they don't have to do that. They've had personal coaching since they were 10 years old, which is a good thing because kids are better. You're seeing velocity. You're seeing all these things better than they've ever been, um, but they doubt, and you need to be able to show them that what you're teaching them is correct, and a lot of times the technology can reinforce those things. So it, it's a good kind of um, segue into you making them see what's important and what helps them be successful it's not just the fat guy with a beard saying hey this is why you can be good it's them seeing oh wow rap soto's telling me that these are my pitch characteristics that are elite okay these are my pitch characteristics that are not elite okay now how do i fix those and and those technology things they don't fix the problems they they point out the problems but now you've got to work with somebody that can help fix those problems and then it comes right back to experience so so helping a guy with his breaking ball with, with the change up, with the slide step, all those things. It comes back to coaching experience. And that's where um, somebody like me gets involved in saying, OK, here's our problems. How do we fix them? And and that's where the 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 experience part of it and the the, the technology all work together. OK, he's got cold zones here. How do we expose him? Um, yeah, he's bad on the changeup, but your change up's terrible. So we can't throw (laughs) the change. like that's not a bitch for you. So how are we going to expose this location or this timing flaw in him? So it's a culmination of so many things. It can get fast and turn into a a tornado for these kids at times. So my job is to, to ease that storm, point out the things that are important and help them fix them.
0: So you look at the staff that you guys have put together, that Jay's put together there at LSU, and you got three guys with deep ties in California, right? Obviously yourself, Jay, and Coach Wanaka. I mean, what's the biggest adjustment been for you guys, or for you personally, uh, you know, moving from the West Coast, uh, you know, obviously California, Washington, Arizona areas, you know, down, down to the Bayou?
1: You know, I don't know if there's an adjustment period, because at the end of the day, um, we want good players, and we want good players that want to wear the purple and gold, that that want that Tigers across their chest. And in reality, no matter where you are, you don't care where they're from. Um, it, they can be from California. They can be from Washington. They can be from Minnesota. They can be from New Jersey. They can be from Louisiana. Like At, at the end of the day, this stuff doesn't care. Um, what, what that does for you, though, is having those West Coast ties is in this game, you've got to have some people that you really trust, especially on the recruiting end of it. And I think that is a huge thing for us right now is we do have those people on the West that, that I've been working with for 20 years and Coach Johnson's been working with for 25 years and, and Chief uh, Coach Wanaka's been working with for 20 years. You know, so, so it gives you just a little bit of insight because we can't go everywhere and see everybody. You just can't do it. We need friends um, and, and relationships like you and, and people all over the country that say, hey, you know what? I saw this sophomore yesterday Man, he's a good player. He might be somebody you want to look into. And you go, oh, wow, okay, Let, let's look him up. You get on the air, you look him up, you like him, you find a way to get a hold of him, and and all of a sudden the recruiting process starts. So it, that part of it on the West Coast is easy for us, but we're making those same relationships here in the South. Coach Fitzgerald is was in Texas for a long time, I think eight years at Dallas Baptist, and recruited the whole South. So he has been instrumental in getting us in touch with the right people. Um, and it's LSU. I, I think that you know it's it's the cream of the crop. It's the top of the heap, and people want to come here. And so you get summer ball coaches and agents, and and these people that have access to players, and they want your kids to come here. Um, so you know it hasn't been that hard of a transition, but you're still constantly just learning. Sorry, I turn my phone off.
0: No, you're good. You still hear me? Yeah, I got you. Yeah,
1: yeah. So it, it's just constantly um, making relationships and it's a, it's a two way street. Like we need to learn to trust those people and they need to learn to trust us. And, and as that relationship grows, um, then, then you get a little more, um, love from those people and you give them more love and, and, you know, you can build relationships anywhere. If you're good people, if you're hard workers and you do right by the kids, then then people are going to gravitate towards you and want to send players to you. and, And that's what we're trying to accomplish.
0: What, one of the big things I keep reading about, you know, having an impact in college baseball is, is the whole, um, uh, NL, NLI, right. And, or NIL or NLI, I believe mm-hmm. it is. Uh, uh, what's your take on that and, and, and how, if at all, are you guys using that, you know, to attract some of the better players around the country? Yeah, that,
1: that it's a weird thing because,
0: you know, we've been doing it for
1: so long, um, at this level that none of it feels right. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like guys are, are getting, you know, they're getting paid for, for commercials and, and you know, they're, they're getting gear and stuff from companies that they've signed deals with that. You're just like, this can't be legal. Like
0: what is this?
1: (laughs) Um, so it is unusual. Um, and and on the coaching end of it, you know what? We don't have much to do with it. I I, it's, this is it's going to become kind of more of an agent thing. Um, and, and you're going to see, in my opinion, this starting to happen a little bit more in high school um, and, and some of these deals are done. So for us, it's not necessarily about the coaching staff. It's not at all about the coaching staff saying, Hey, this is what we can do for you because we don't have those ties, but it's about, you know, Tiger nation and, and the popularity of, of LSU baseball and, and 12,000 people every night and, and just the diehard community here to where the players, you know, they find opportunities to, to, make a little money and and get themselves through college just based on the the support that we have here from the community and there's the the kids these these businesses want to help these kids and and but at the same time these kids can help these businesses because if you're an LSU tiger I mean you're famous and you're signing autographs at the restaurant and and you know they recognize you all over town and and so you know I, I think it's a great thing for the players because I don't think you know, you should ever hold these guys back from progressing. And and that's happened for a long time, but it's also really weird because it just smells of something that you shouldn't be doing. Um, But like any new, any new situation, you know, it's about us adapting to it, but it's a great thing. And, and, you know, you're, you're going to see some big time players getting some big time deals and, and, you know, it's about influence and, and, and how can these players influence companies and influence people um, all over the country on social media and that's a big deal and and you're gonna see some i think some big deals here in the future from people all over the country but it's cool i, I love it let's get those kids money let's help them pay for school we, we baseball such a a hard thing because we there's no full rides in this thing and everybody's on partials and and so to make a couple thousand dollars is a big deal to to a lot of these families and, and a lot of these kids. So I'm all for it.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to have a, a big, big positive impact, especially on, like you said, on the game of baseball because of the scholarship limitations. And you're going to start seeing guys who you know maybe go later in the draft, decide, you know what, uh, maybe I'll go to school yep. for a few years and. Go play in front of the 12,000 people that you just mentioned. And now I want to touch on that because you said, you know, if you play for the LSU Tigers, you know, you're famous, you're signing autographs in restaurants and uh, things like that. You know, given your prior stops, I mean, is that something – that that's you know obviously pretty new to you. I mean, and then what's that like? I mean, you, you know, you walk into LSU as a West coast guy and, you know, you see how it, how, how it really is at LSU. I mean, I've, I've seen that you guys have had some fall ball games and, you know, I'm sure that the crowds have, have been pretty good at those too, just to, if nothing else out of curiosity, what, you know, what's this, what's this guy, you know, bring into our, our program. But I mean, what's that been like for you just to kind of see that, embrace that and, you know, kind of be like, Hey, you know, this is the cream of the crop.
1: Yeah, it's 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 really cool, but it's also a, a little bit unusual for me. And and I've been at great places and and you know with great people, but it, it's just not the same as it is here. And and you know even on my end, like I, I'm I'm walking into a restaurant and you know the the hostess right away is like, "Hey, coach, how are you?" And you're like, <laughs> uh, you know, and. Yeah. and I ca- She's like, oh, yeah, no, I, I know who you are. And, and, and you're just like, wow, that's, you know, I, I've been to other places where, where nobody knows who you are for, for 10 years and, and and not a good thing or a bad thing. It, it just kind of is a, the way it is. So it's a totally different ballgame here, um, which is awesome. And and that's I think that's what I wanted, and, and I wanted that pressure and, and to just continue to progress in my career. And, and I think players are, are noticing those things too, and it's the closest you can get to professional baseball and at the same time getting some education done and social life and and you know all, all of us that went to school know that you made some of your best friends in college and and really grew up in college and so like you mentioned with with the, the ability for these players to make some money the draft you know maybe we can get some kids that that are like hey you know what that, that's not going to do it for me i want to go to school and and I can I can prosper at school instead of struggling. I come, you know, my parents are, are grinding to get through this thing and, and there's not going to be a lot of help financially from their end, but I can do it myself. And and so I think it's obviously a good thing, but this place is crazy. The fall ball games have been awesome. I mean, we I don't know, you're not counting people in the stands, but you're getting 1,000, 1,300 people for a, a Sunday inner squad game. Um, and, and we haven't even played anybody else. We will next weekend. Um, but – it's just, it's a totally different deal. There's, you know, the same people are coming to the inter-squad games and sitting in their seats. And, you know, you're like, who's that guy? And the players are like, Oh, that's, that's Jimmy, you know, same seat every day. Hasn't missed a game, comes down, gives us good luck. And, you know, you're just like, wow, that's that's a really cool thing. So it's exciting for me and and my family.
0: That's awesome. You know, one, one thing about recruiting that we haven't touched on is obviously the loss of the season for COVID, you know is still having a trickle down effect right I mean with recruiting you know a lot of schools being full roster management things of that nature you know if 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 you had an opportunity to speak directly to recruits you know or indirectly here on this podcast and what sort of advice would you give guys that you know maybe uh had some recruiting attention prior to the shutdown who, you know, are maybe uncommitted seniors or uncommitted juniors now with the way recruiting's going, you know, younger and younger, um, you know, what sort of advice would you give those guys uh, in terms of their recruitment and, you know, ultimately their potential landing spots?
1: Yeah, it's, it's hard. And, and I feel for, you know, the, the, the 22 class, the 21 class, you know, even parts of that 20 class, that had some things which they felt were in order and to have some of those things taken away from them for, you know, nobody's fault. And, and everybody has suffered from, from COVID and, and people have lost their jobs and, and kids have lost their scholarships and their schools. And it's just, a it's, it really sucks for lack of a better term. Um, my advice to them as they progress in this thing is, is you need to play and you need to get, you know, not get rid of, but, but, it, it may just be a different turn in your journey and, and it may mean junior college. It may mean something that, that you never thought was in the cards for you. And that doesn't mean that you can't still make it. I mean, it just makes it a different path. And, and I think, you know, not that everything does happen for a reason, cause you can't say that about this, but it, you have to adapt and, and you have to find the best situation for you. And it may not be what your buddy um, is doing it, this thing isn't fair and if you love this game and you really want to play and you want to play in the big leagues like I'm sure every kid wants to then you're willing to do whatever it takes and if that means um, not swallowing your pride but but going down a different route then you should be willing to do that and, and find a place where they want you where the opportunity is going to be good where you can get better where you can progress and and forget about maybe what's on the front of that jersey. Because, you know, it it may be the right place for you. Um, And and that's hard because parents spend a lot of money on this game. People are traveling all over the country to try and be seen, to try and find opportunities. Um, And so sometimes if they don't get what they want, it's disappointing. And and I understand that. But if you love this game, you'll find a place to play. And and you'll get better and you'll move on. And kids are drafted from every level. Um, We just signed – or going to be in the process of signing junior college kids, like it, it, it happens at a different time for everybody. So if you love the game, you're willing to do anything to progress in it. And and um, if you have that mindset and that kind of commitment to it, I think at the end of the day, you'll be pretty darn successful because your work ethic and, and your commitment to the game, again, will will, will kind of pull through.
0: Yeah, you, you, you touched on it there with the junior college players, and, and I'll go back to what you said, you know, junior college what it did for you in terms of developing as a player and, and as a person. Do you find that junior college players are are just different? I mean, you obviously, you know, you go on social media and you hear these Juco bandits and, you know, this, that, and the other. But, but I mean, I, I went to a junior college myself, and I, I think you just kind of have this chip on your shoulder, like, hey, I'm better than this, and I'm going to prove it. And do you find that in the recruiting process and ultimately when you get guys on campus signed and in your program that they kind of have that attitude, if you will, of, of, you know, hey, I'm out to prove something versus, you know, maybe a kid who has been committed to your program for a couple of years?
1: Yeah, I, I think that there's something to that. But I also think that those kids' personalities, you know, when you're dealing with the young kids. Is you're taking a risk because they're they're not fully developed and and they're not, you know, they're not at a place mentally where that's not the product you're going to get when they show up at 19. You're, you're recruiting these kids at 15, and, and I mean I don't know what you were doing at 15. Um, <laughs> I know that I wasn't capable of making a life decision at 15, um, and that doesn't mean some of these kids aren't. Um, but you're you're taking a little bit more risk. The junior college part of it is is good because you get stats. You get experience. Now, that doesn't mean those guys don't come in and have the same problems. I mean, we're dealing with the same thing right now with, with some of our arms that freshmen and junior college transfers are dealing with. They're dealing with the same problems, the same um, anxiety, the same fear of failure, you know, all these things. It, it's not, it doesn't matter how old you are, um, there's going to be struggles in this game. And, and so, but yeah, you can find JC guys that just have a football term, they've got some tape. You know, you, you can see what they do and what they don't do well. And, and you, you're going to be able to say, hey, I can help him with that or I can't help him with that. So, yeah, you get a little more polished product at times, um, but it, and you get a, maybe a different mentality. And, and that's they've been through some things. They've been on those vans. Um, you know, you've you've uh, the seven dollars a day meal money, um, you, you know, the the 19 inning, you um, games in the fall with other teams and you know you drive yourselves to those games there's no locker room you know so so it, it makes you really appreciate some of the finer things when when you're at LSU and you're you're getting on a private plane you know flying to another SEC school it's a little different than a 15 passenger 15 hour drive
0: yeah you, you touched on it a little bit of with parents and families you know kind of traveling all over the country doing all that do you ever feel like like do you ever ask yourself how much is too much when it comes to stuff like that?
1: I do and, and it's it's crazy because, as you know, you're at a lot of the same events that we are and, and you see the same people every weekend. And, and the back of your mind is just like, a, how do they afford this? B, how do they you know they just carve out so much time for this? like it's it's very honorable that they're willing to do whatever it takes for their children. Um, to to have success. And you're just hoping that they're doing it for the right reasons. And and the right reasons are to get better in this game, to face great competition, to work on things, to practice, um, to get exposed to the game of baseball at the highest level. Um, The next phase is hopefully I play well and somebody wants to recruit me. And those things, they don't always go hand in hand. And, And that's where you you see some of these things that you're just like, oh, my phone. <laughs> um, that you're just kind of like, man, I, I don't. I hope this works out for these people because you don't want them to be soured to this game and to this process um, because it hasn't gone their way and they spent you know ten thousand dollars over two and I don't know how much people send, Shoot, they may spend twenty for all I know. Um, but they've spent all this money over two summers and they're not getting what they want out of it. Um, and, and you hope that doesn't happen. But you hope that people have the perspective to say hey, you know what, we got experience, my son got better, um, he played with great teammates, he made great friends, this, that, and the other, and not just, I hope he gets a scholarship, we're going to do all this for a scholarship. If you just saved all that money, you could pay for your kid to walk on, and yeah. he could have the same college experience. And, and that's, that's obviously extreme, and it doesn't always work out like that. But you, you hope they find that middle ground where they're really having fun, and I think the parents have fun with it, too. I mean, they're traveling around with great families and, and the hotels and by the pool. And so I think everybody's enjoying themselves. And as long as they keep that attitude, then let the kids play, man. Let them play. Let them compete. Let them get better. And if it doesn't work out, they can say, hey, you know what? We poured our, we poured everything we needed to pour into this thing, and, and it didn't work out. And if it does work out, then you say, wow, we, we, he really worked hard, and we did everything we could. And and now I'm watching him play on TV, and, and he's on the road to, to hopefully – Reaching his dreams. So, so you hope they keep perspective on it. But it's, it's an interesting subject and, and not something that I'm on one side or the other. I, I, I don't know what I would do. You know, my, my, my kids are, aren't that age yet. So who knows, we might be traveling all over the country someday, too. So I'm not one to judge.
0: Right. It's easy. It's easy to sit back when you're not in the middle of it. Right. I mean, you just hope that you just hope that they're well-rounded kids and that they're putting the same effort in the classroom to, you know, open up some opportunities. But uh, J.K., man, again, I can't thank you enough for doing this. This was awesome spending some time with you and catching up. And, um, you know, again, congratulations on on the LSU job. And I I know you guys are going to do a fantastic job down there. And uh, again, thanks a bunch for hopping on with me.
1: I appreciate it, Les. We we appreciate all all you guys do uh, um, to help with, with baseball and exposure for these kids and giving kids opportunities. So, so anytime th- that we can do this and, and have a, have a conversation I'm in and, and we'll be happy to, to come back at some point again.
0: Awesome, man. Uh, we'll be talking to you real soon then. <laughs> Thanks buddy.
1: All right, man. Go Tigers.
0: I'd like to thank LSU pitching coach, Jason Kelly, for joining me on the podcast today. Be sure to check out prep, dot for all your news, ranking and event information. And until next time, we'll see you at the yard.